Scripture reading will be from 3 John, verses 9 through 11. 3 John, verses 9 through 11. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. Beloved, follow not that which is evil, but that which is good. He that doeth good is of God, but he that doeth evil hath not seen God. The shortest book in your New Testament is the book of 3 John. In the Greek language, it has about 213 words. So from a word count perspective, the shortest book in your New Testament. Just because it's short doesn't mean that you ought to ignore it, however. In our ongoing series about New Testament postcards, the one-chapter books in your New Testament, let's give some attention this evening to what 3 John can teach us about God and about being faithful to God. As you look at 3 John, and if you haven't already opened your Bible there, please go ahead and do that. As you look at 3 John, it's really about three people, three individuals. You find three names mentioned in 3 John. Gaius is mentioned in verse 1. You see him? Gaius, that's the man to whom 3 John was written. And then you see another name, Diotrephes, that was read just a moment ago in verse 10 in Clint's reading, verses 9 and 10. And then you see a third name, Demetrius. Demetrius is mentioned in verse 12, and we'll talk about him in just a moment. But if you wanted a quick three-point outline of the book of 3 John, it just centers around those three individuals. Verses 1 through 8 has to do with the kind of person that Gaius was. And then verses 9 and 10 have to do with the kind of person Diotrephes was. And then verses 11 through 15 have to do with the kind of person that Demetrius is and the kind of person God wants us to be as well. Incidentally, I know I just said verses 11 through 15, some of your Bibles, if you have a New King James like mine, for example, there are only 14 verses in 3 John. What's the deal? But John just said 15. If you've got an ESV, you've probably got 15 verses in the book of 3 John. That last verse in the New King James gets broken in half in the ESV and some other translations as well. So some translations have uh, 14 verses and some translations have 15, just for that reason. It's just a matter of where they divided the verses. Having said all that, let's talk about what 3 John can teach us. When you think about 3 John, it actually has somewhat of a relationship to the book of 2 John. In 2 John... The danger is that we might include people in fellowship that God excludes. 2 John verses 9 through 11 warns Christians, be careful about embracing and helping and supporting people who are teaching false doctrine. Christians can't do that. We're not permitted by God, by God's Spirit to do that. We must support the truth. We must encourage those who teach the truth. And we cannot include in our fellowship, in our participation, those who teach that which is false. 
It's dangerous. It's spiritually harmful to do so. So there is a danger, according to 2 John, in including people in fellowship that God excludes. 3 John has to do with the opposite danger. There's also a danger when it comes to fellowship of excluding people that God includes. There's a danger that we'll do that. And when you try to live as a Christian for any amount of time, you'll find that sometimes fellowship gets really difficult. How does this work out? How does this look as I'm trying to be faithful to God, to God's word, and I'm trying to love people? It's a tough thing to try to live with people who are imperfect and try to recognize the people that God includes and also stay away from those and not support those that God excludes when it comes to fellowship. So the danger of excluding those God includes. One of the comforts that I get from reading 2nd and 3rd John is this. Even in the first century, the church had people problems. As one writer put it, wherever you have people, you're going to have problems. Because that's the nature of working with people, isn't it? And so no matter where the congregation is and no matter how good a congregation might be or no matter how unfaithful a congregation might be, there are going to be problems just because of the fact that imperfect people come together and try to work together to serve and to please God. There are going to be problems. And John the Apostle, even late in his life, after people had had time to absorb and digest the gospel and to be changed by it, even late in his life, as he's writing 1st and 2nd and 3rd John, he has to keep coming back to this theme of love one another and this theme of stand for truth and this theme of make sure that when you're practicing fellowship that you listen to God and what he recognizes and who he recognizes. All of those things are important for Christians just as much today as they were 2,000 years ago. Let's break our outline of 3 John into the three parts I mentioned just a moment ago. And I just want to plant this seed in your mind as we begin. In every one of us, there is the potential to be a Gaius, an encourager. Just as true, in every one of us, there is the potential to be a Diotrephes. A dictator. In every single one of us, there's the potential for both. And in every one of us, there's a little bit of both. So the question we ought to ask as we look at the first two points in our lesson tonight is, what is there more of in me? As I'm living as a Christian, am I more like Gaius or am I more like Diotrephes? Let's look at the text. In verses 1 through 8, The Bible talks about Gaius, the encourager. Let's just read together. John introduces himself in verse 1 as the elder. To the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, he says, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Right off the bat, you get this impression. John loves Gaius. John is all about supporting Gaius. And John's going to praise Gaius in a lot of ways. One of the things he brings up in verse 2 is that Gaius is a spiritually healthy individual. John prays, I pray that your health may prosper, even as, or that you may prosper in all things and be in health even as your soul prospers. 
Gaius is a person who is devoted to the Lord. He's a person who loves the truth. He's a person who's growing as a Christian. Are you growing as a Christian? Is your soul prospering? I mean, right now, today, are you growing and, and working in the king as we, uh, kingdom as we've been singing about tonight? Gaius was. And so John could say, I pray, Gaius, that, that your health and your physical well-being, that those things, all, your, all the areas of your life, that all of them may prosper just as much as I see you growing as your soul prospers. There's a potential in all of us to be a Gaius. Not only that, but Gaius is a man who is characterized by good testimony from others. Look at verse 3. John says, I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth, John says. So he's writing this to his friend Gaius and he says, some other people have come and talked to me and they've talked about you, Gaius, and they've told me that you're somebody who stands for truth and you're somebody who walks in truth. And John rejoiced to hear that. Verse 4, by the way, is a great, parent, uh, great parenting verse. It's a great verse for parents to meditate on and to think about. Our kids may grow up to be something that we never expected. They may grow up to work in a field or, or have a career or, or live in a place where we never imagined they would. And we all have expectations for our kids. But look at verse 4 very carefully. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. If we can raise our children and dedicate our lives to helping them to know what it means to walk in truth, to stand for what's right, and to be faithful in a relationship with Almighty God, if we can raise our kids to do that, we have been what God wants us to be as parents, regardless of anything else our kids are doing with their lives. If they're walking in truth, what a joy to be able to say that. And John, as he's talking about Gaius, says, I'm so glad, Gaius, that I hear from others because of the way you're living. It's not just something you're doing personally in your, in your closet, you know, all by yourself and nobody sees. Everybody sees that this is what you're all about. There's the potential in all of us to be a Gaius. He's an encouraging guy because of the way he lives. But then look at this in verses 4 through 8. John describes his practical ministry. He's going to explain verse 4 a little bit more fully. What does it mean that Gaius walks in truth? What does it mean that he is an encourager? Look at verse 5. Gaius, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. Gaius is a Christian who loves other Christians. He loves other people. And when somebody comes to town, you know, every congregation has got folks like this. When somebody new comes to town and they need a place to stay, you always know who to call. Oh, I'll call so-and-so because they'll never say no. They love to have people in their home. They love to encourage and support gospel preaching. They love people who stand for what's right and who support the truth. And I don't have a problem reaching out to that person and seeing if they can offer a place to stay that's what Gaius was doing. Gaius was the guy that the church looked at when somebody came to town. And Gaius was the guy where people came and stayed at his home. He had a practical ministry. 
look at what John goes on to elaborate about. He says this ministry is good. And the reason why he's going into this detail is because Diotrephes doesn't recognize the value of this. Diotrephes has a very different approach to how we ought to treat visiting Christians and visiting preachers. But Gaius has, has got a lot of things that are going on that are good. And that's why John's commending this. He wants the church. He wants Gaius. And he wants all of us to see God wants us to have fellowship with people who stand for what's right. He wants us to love and to support and to encourage people who are teaching the truth. And so in verse 6, the Bible says that Gaius, in the way he treats these Christians, he honors God. You have borne witness, these, these, these brethren, these strangers, they've borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you do well. What does that mean, a manner worthy of God? It means that Gaius is not grudging in the way that he practices hospitality. Gaius is not just saying, well, all right, if you need a place to stay, there's the couch. I'll see you in the morning. Don't expect breakfast. That's not the kind of guy Gaius is. He brings these people in. He helps them feel like family, like they're at home, in his home. And Gaius honors God by the way that he treats the people visiting him. It's practical. Not only that, but look at verse 7. He lifts up the name of Christ. They went forth, it says in verse 7, for his name's sake. Some translations say for the sake of the name, taking nothing from the Gentiles. These itinerant preachers who are preaching the truth, they would not take support and encouragement. And the Gentiles wouldn't give it to them anyway. But even if they did, even if they offered, these people would say, no, we're not about the money. We're not about trying to get rich off of preaching the gospel we're going to go and we're going to allow the church to support us. The church supports its own. And they do all this, it says in verse 7, for the sake of the name. And I love that phrase, for the sake of the name. You know why we do what we do here at Katy? We do it for the sake of the name. Because Jesus has the name that is above all names. And Jesus' name needs to be magnified. It needs to be lifted up. And so we have all these works and programs. We have missionaries all over the world, a lot of them working diligently and faithfully in Mexico. Why? For the sake of the name. We have people who go into the community and help in benevolent ways. And we have people that come to the building here and they have requests and we try to help them as best we can as a congregation. Why? For the sake of the name. Why do we preach and teach the gospel? It's for the sake of the name. Why do we have Bible classes? It's for the sake of the name. Why do we have fellowship with one another in events like family circles? It's for the sake of the name. Because Jesus' name deserves to be magnified. And that's what these preachers 2,000 years ago were doing. They were going out for the sake of the name. They were teaching and they were helping others to find a relationship with God. And Gaius said, I want to be a part of that. Why would I not want to be a part of that? That's exciting. That's thrilling. It doesn't take much to be an encourager. But it does take a focus on what honors God and what lifts up the name of Christ. Look at verse 8. The first part of verse 8. 
The Bible says that Gaius cooperates with fellow servants. It says we therefore ought to receive such that we may become fellow workers for the truth. Gaius realizes that there are going to be other people working in the Lord's vineyard. If you've ever tried to garden and you've tried to do it all by yourself, there is a lot of work involved in gardening. And especially as your garden gets bigger, a lot of work. How much better it is to have helpers cooperating with us in gardening. And the same thing is true in the Lord's kingdom. How much sweeter and greater it is for brethren to work and to walk together in unity, cooperating with one another. Gaius promotes the truth. Gaius knows that when he helps these itinerant preachers coming through town, when he houses them in his home, when he takes care of their needs, when he treats them like family, that one of the things he's doing is he's having fellowship with them. Fellowship. When we support people who teach the truth, when we support people who are working in the Lord's vineyard, we are in fellowship with them. And we do that because they're promoting the truth, because we have a common cause and a common Savior. And so Gaius is this wonderful New Testament Christian. And let me say this, every congregation, including this one, needs more people like Gaius. More people who love the truth, who support the truth, who want the truth to be taught and heard everywhere. More people who are willing to support and encourage those who are willing to teach the truth. Every congregation needs more Gaiuses. And there's the potential in every one of us to be a Gaius. Secondly, though, tonight, look at verses 9 and 10. The famous name out of 3 John is Diotrephes. Diotrephes is a dictator. I wrote to the church, John says in verse 9, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. So John has already written a letter to this unnamed congregation. And Diotrephes, I guess, tore up the letter. And so that's why John is writing to Gaius, a single member of this congregation. And the Bible says in verse 10, Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds, which he does, prating against us with malicious words. And not content with that, Diotrephes himself does not receive the brethren. And forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. What's Diotrephes doing? He is a dictator. And there are five indictments in these two verses that I'd like for you to pay attention to. What's John saying about Diotrephes? He says, first of all, that Diotrephes is proud. He loves to be first. And if you've been a member of the church for any length of time at all, there are people who love to be first. They love to be in the limelight. They love to be number one. They love to have the preeminence. It's just human nature. Not only that, Diotrephes is rebellious. He does not acknowledge our authority, John says. Well, who is John? John is one of the 12 apostles. John is one who was sent with a special mission by Jesus Christ to teach the gospel, to reveal it to the world. And if an apostle comes and speaks to the church, the apostles had a unique kind of authority that died with them 2,000 years ago. But as long as John lived as an apostle, 
he had authority. Diotrephes didn't want to hear what John had to say. He didn't want to hear what John had to, had to teach the church. Not only that, but Diotrephes is guilty of slander. He goes around disparaging John with wicked words, worthless words, nonsense, one translation says. So Diotrephes is making up all kinds of things, talking about the kind of person John is and the kind of things John teaches. He's saying some very ungodly, unholy things about who John is. Slander. What else is Diotrephes doing? He is ungracious. When these Christians come through town that are preaching and teaching the truth, Diotrephes does not receive them. Who are your friends? Do you teach what John teaches? Do you teach the same gospel and the same principles that John teaches? What do you think about John? Is he a good guy or is he a scoundrel? And Diotrephes is ungracious. He will not receive people who are aligned with John and with those who work with John. And then, number five, there's an abuse of power. Diotrephes thinks that church discipline is something that he ought to practice all by himself. And so, having taken the power somehow, some way, when somebody doesn't toe the party line and do what Diotrephes thinks needs to be done, Diotrephes puts people out of the church for defying him, according to verse 10. Diotrephes is a dictator. He's in control. A lot of people have written about, was Diotrephes an elder? It doesn't say that. Maybe he was. Some people used to think that this was the first example in the New Testament of a one elder church. There is no such thing in the New Testament. The Bible never speaks about a congregation with just one elder. There's always a plurality. Acts 14, verse 23, they appointed elders, plural, in every church. Philippians 1, verse 1, I write to the bishops, the elders of the church in Philippi. There's always a plurality, always at least two. And there's wisdom in that. Was Diotrephes an elder? It's inconclusive. But there are congregations all over the world, and always have been, where somebody with family connections, or somebody with a large pocketbook, or somebody with a lot of clout in the community, uses those things and leverages those things to have a say-so in a lot of the things the church is doing. Just as there's a potential in all of us for Gaius to be like Gaius, there's also a potential in all of us to be like Diotrephes. And dictators are not hard to spot. But let's think about the spirit of Diotrephes because the spirit of Diotrephes is alive and well even today in the Lord's church. Just for a moment, the spirit of Diotrephes. People who have the spirit of Diotrephes, they want to be in control. They want to call the shots. They want to have a say-so in everything. And they tend to dominate every conversation. You got to have some input. Got to tell you. It's the spirit of Diotrephes. Not only that, but people with the spirit of Diotrephes, they like to talk about themselves typically. Diotrephes, if you went back 2,000 years and met him, I'm sure he would tell you what a great servant of God he is. I'm sure he would tell you what a great blessing to the church he is. I'm sure he would tell you that he's standing for truth. Incidentally, 
One of the things that's noteworthy about 3 John is that nowhere does John say Diotrephes has the wrong doctrine. You see it? Verses 9 and 10? It's not about Diotrephes' doctrine. He may well be straight as an arrow doctrinally. He asked Diotrephes to preach a sermon on baptism or on the blood of Christ or, or on what must I do to be saved. And, and Diotrephes is going to preach a sermon and he'll tell you the truth. But Diotrephes has the wrong spirit. He has the wrong attitude. The spirit of Diotrephes. Diotrephes thought he knew better than John. And we have the spirit of Diotrephes when we start to think, you know, I could do a lot better than those in leadership. Maybe that's true, but there's something poisonous about that attitude. It'll poison our souls. It's the spirit of Diotrephes. How about Diotrephes? When we become unreasonable, unapproachable, and unwilling to listen, we're like Diotrephes. I just want to talk to you, Diotrephes. I just want to, I just want to reason with you. Here, let me mail you this letter. He does not receive us. He will not listen. All he does is slander and mock and prate with malicious words. He's unapproachable. Diotrephes and people like him focuses exclusively on his group of friends. You know, fellowship is complex sometimes it's tough to sort it out sometimes and one of the easy things we do as christians is we sometimes ask this question about fellowship well whose circle are you in who are you friends with because especially preachers those that have preached you kind of know if if that preacher knows that preacher and that preacher knows that preacher and they all talk pretty frequently and you see them at the same events and you see and, and they invite each other to each other's lectureships well they must they must all be good guys there, there must be fellowship among them. And so fellowship gets devalued sometimes unintentionally, but wrongly, because we start to make fellowship a matter of, well, who are you friends with? Whose circle are you in? Who do you know? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, just go there for a moment, because this is worth thinking about. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7, when we think about what fellowship means. God says in 1 John 1 verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then, consequence, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. What's fellowship about? It's about three things. It's about walking in the light it's about recognizing others who walk in the light. And it's about the blood of Jesus most fundamentally. Has the blood of Jesus cleansed me from my sin? Does it continue to cleanse me from my sin as I walk in the light? That's a fellowship verse worth pondering. It's not about who am I friends with. It's about is this person walking in the light? Is this person cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Otherwise, we're going to develop the spirit of Diotrephes if we're not careful. Spirit of Diotrephes. Clinging to positions of authority at all costs. 
If I go, you're going to have to take me out kicking and screaming, holding on, territorial, that kind of mentality. The spirit of Diotrephes is alive and well, even today, in many congregations. And there's a potential in every one of us to be a Diotrephes. One thing about the Diotrephes is in the world, if you watch them for any length of time, the result of their ministries is envy, strife, and division. Envy, strife, and division. And what the Diotrephes in the world end up with at the end of the day is that they are an echo chamber talking to their little group of friends that they have decided they're in fellowship with. We need to be careful that we don't develop the spirit of Diotrephes. Before we leave Diotrephes, I want to say one more thing, and I'll say this very briefly. John never told Gaius to leave the church and start another one. When you read 3 John, that's not the advice. That's not the divine counsel. You got a Diotrephes running the church. You got somebody that's in charge and, and he's doing all these wicked things. What do you do? Leaving the church was not something that John counseled Gaius to do. He didn't say you need to split off and start a new congregation of faithful people who are all about walking in the light again. He didn't say that. That's interesting. Even in congregations where Diotrephes has run the show, God can use us and God can mold us and God can shape us. And there's something about working even with the difficult people around us that God has a purpose that he can use us for in those circumstances. And that's where we get to Demetrius in verses 11 through 15. I'm going to talk about Demetrius first, and then I'm going to circle back to verse 11. So look at verse 12. In verse 12, John says, Demetrius has a good testimony, a good report. When I hear about Demetrius, all I hear are good things. And let me tell you where I hear these good things from, he says in verse 12. I hear from the church. They're telling me that Demetrius is a guy who is worthy of imitation. When they think about somebody who's faithfully serving Jesus Christ and trying to cooperate with others and trying to help people go to heaven, they think about Demetrius. Not only that, but he has a good testimony from the truth itself. When you ask Demetrius questions about the Bible, Demetrius gives you a Bible answer. He is somebody who stands for the truth. He is somebody who wants people to know what God has said. And so the truth and his life, he, he practices what he preaches. Demetrius, the church thinks he's a, a sincere, devout Christian. The truth attests to that. Oh, and by the way, John says in verse, 11, in verse 12, he says, our testimony, we bear witness and it's true as well. So John is saying to Gaius, back there in verse 1, John's saying to Gaius, I want you to consider, I want you to think about Demetrius over there. Look at the kind of example that he's setting. Look at the kind of man that he is. And listen to what people in the truth and I, an apostle, are saying about him. And then here's what you do. He didn't say leave the church and go somewhere else, go start one across the street. He didn't say that to Gaius. Here's what he said. Here's the punchline of 3 John. Are you ready? It's in verse 11. Beloved, 
do not imitate what is evil, that's Diotrephes, but imitate what is good, that's Demetrius. He who does good is of God, that's Demetrius. He who does evil has not seen God, that's Diotrephes. That's what verse 11 is saying. What do you do when you're in a congregation and there's somebody that's in authority and and they just really shouldn't be? It's obvious and everybody knows it. And people outside the church know it. And and you go back 2,000 years ago, an apostle knows it. What do you do when you're in a congregation like that where somebody is abusing their authority and somebody is doing something that is just sinful and wicked and ungodly and, and there are fellowship lines being drawn that should never have been drawn? What do you do in a circumstance like that? You pray to Almighty God and you ask Him to open that person's eyes and then you imitate what's good. That's what it says in verse 11. You imitate what's good. You look among the congregation where you serve and you find a Demetrius. You find somebody who is serving the Lord. You find somebody who has good testimony from the church and from the truth. And if the apostles were around today, would have good testimony from the apostles themselves. And you follow that person. And you let God work out some of the authority stuff. Because I promise you this, God loves the church more than you do. And God has ways of working things out that you are unaware of. He just does. Imitate Demetrius. That's what it says. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, follow me, imitate me, as I also imitate Christ. One of the things that every Christian ought to be doing is we ought to be living in such a way that we could turn around and say to people, do what I'm doing. This is the way a Christian lives. This is the way a Christian treats others. This is the way a Christian behaves. This is what it means to serve Jesus Christ, even in a difficult circumstance. Demetrius is an example to follow. And if we'll open our eyes and we'll look around, there is always a Demetrius worthy of emulation. John closes this letter. Look at verses 13 following. I had many things to write. So many things involved in local ministry, but I don't want to write them with pen and ink. I hope to see you shortly and we shall speak face to face. And then this is where verse 15 starts in the ESV. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. In other words, Gaius, keep on keeping on. Keep on being an encourager of those who stand for what's right. And I'm going to deal with diatrophies when I come. That's healthy advice. We are to stick together. We are to love one another. We are to encourage and to support one another as best we can for the sake of the name. Because Jesus' name is magnified when different people learn to cooperate and love each other. There's a lot to think about. It's wrong to include those who God excludes, but it's wrong to exclude those who God includes as well. Both are equally wrong, and both are worthy of our contemplation. We're going to offer heaven's invitation at this time. If you're not a New Testament Christian, and you need to obey the gospel, the Bible says that a person becomes a Christian by humbly submitting to Jesus Christ and His will, repenting of their sin, confessing His name, and being baptized for the remission of sins.
When we're baptized, we cross from death to life. We cross from being lost to being saved. We move into a place where we're in a relationship with God and we're part of the blessed and precious church that Jesus died to save. If we can help you make that commitment this evening, if there's any way we can help you, why don't you make your way down the aisle while together we stand and while we sing.